Um, I'm here at Experimental Station with Julian Terrell Otis, um, who has um, a show as part of Frequency Festival at Constellation on Sunday, March 1st. That's right. Julian, thank you for being here with me today. (laughs) Thank you for having me. I really appreciate (laughs) it. Um, This is my first time at Experimental Station, and I'm very excited. It looks like just a hotbed of creativity and awesomeness yeah i'm very excited hey (laughs) absolutely um we may have some footsteps overhead but i don't think that will be super audible in this interview um so um julian you are a, a vocalist and an avid interpreter of of contemporary music um i wanted to ask you um kind of when did this interest start how did you first kind of get into contemporary music in particular sure Oh, I would think my interest in new music started in graduate school and I was taking a new music experimental music and practice class with Professor Ryan Dahoney. He's near and dear to my heart, Mm -hmm. so I have to give him a shout out, of course. (laughs) And um, in particular, I was looking at all of the in music history. I'd always taken music history classes and musicology classes and you know, you're introduced to the Western canon, you're introduced yeah. to religious music, but you really don't get a sense of like where I fit in as a black person within that context. For sure. And that experimental music class was the first time that I was exposed to like composers of color outside of the classical canon. Yeah. And um, I think the very first composer I was made aware of was Julius Eastman's work because mm-hmm. um, Ryan Dahoney's he's done a lot of research on him and has written a couple of articles on Eastman as well yeah. and it was just such an amazing experience to look in a book and see this wonderful like man of color like and a queer man of color being able to express himself using classical contemporary techniques and it's brilliant Mm -hmm. and And, political at the same time yeah and you're by the way i remember i don't remember if we actually like met at this point but um because you you sang um julius eastman's holy presence of uh joan of arc yes thank you uh, at the chicago cultural center oh you saw that yes yeah yeah yeah. i was playing on um the the, that giant like cello ensemble piece. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> but that was What's such. Up? Yeah, and you you opened the program, didn't you? Right. Yeah, and that was like such a great opening to that program. Oh, by small the way. world. <laughs> well, I didn't. Well, I must have there met were a lot you. Of people, yeah. There were a lot of people on the program. It's okay. Like, <laughs> oh man. Oh, okay. But I just wanted to bring that up. If anybody who's listening was there, like that was Julian, and he was amazing, and it was a, a really wonderful performance. That was my first time doing that piece was it really yes it was wonderful thank you (laughs) the thing about that configuration is the fact that it's the prelude Mm -hmm. to the holy presence of Joan of Arc so that's why they're paired together is because it was originally I believe it was like a ballet, mm-hmm. which mm-hmm. I would love to see dancers yeah, dance to this Yeah, that would be amazing. Uh, it would be a, a wonderful uh, multi, um, multidisciplinary <laughs> kind of project to, to put together. I think that should happen someday. Absolutely. Um, so in 
I was reading like the the blurb <laughs> as part of uh, Constellation's event on Facebook for mm-hmm. for your show on the first, and um, as part of your blurb, it says. Um, utilization of the operatic voice uh, brings new perspective to the creative music, jazz, commercial, and contemporary classical worlds. I kind of, I wanted to ask you, I didn't kind of want to ask you, I wanted to ask you (laughs) to kind of clarify what you mean by that, how, how the, how the operatic voice uh, brings new perspective to these other kind of disciplines. Absolutely. Um, I really feel like the operatic or classically trained voice or someone that went through a vocal performance degree program in general is siloed quite a bit. Mm -hmm. Like usually a lot of performers only do opera or art song or musical theater. And when I graduated from school I tried to do all of those things I actually did all of those things yeah because I think as a student I found myself limited and with the new freedom of graduating from a master's degree I was like hey let me try everything yeah and see what fits and ultimately I felt most comfortable in the new and contemporary music world yeah Um, simply, I think I like things that are on the edge. They're ahead of their time. Yeah. Um, things that I can't see or catch every day. And I think the contemporary music world was the place that was the most exciting for me. Mm -hmm. And so that's kind of where I started to like really perform work and granted, like right out of school, I was in a piece called Afterward mm-hmm. by George Lewis. And that was an amazing opportunity to work with a black composer mm-hmm. who's from Chicago, yeah. writing about an organization, um, <laughs> the Association for the Advancement of Creative Musicians. Mm-hmm. And it exposed me in one year, I was exposed to 20, 30, 40 different composers and musicians that were black and they lived right here where I'm from, from Chicago. And it was such a beautiful and inspiring thing to see and to be a part of and to know that the music that we make here in Chicago and particularly the music that was made and conceived and formed on the South side of Chicago ended up having such a worldwide reach. Yeah. And um, I think about the continuation of classical music. And I see its progression in America as well. And I really am coming to the conclusion that jazz, I'm starting to believe the conclusion that jazz is the continuation of Western classical music in America. Mm -hmm. And out of jazz comes hip hop, comes uh, rap comes R&B comes soul music mm-hmm. uh, comes contemporary classical music yeah. <laughs> right yeah when you think about the works that Julius Eastman was composing at the time it's very similar to minimalism yeah and instead of calling it minimalism he called it somewhere along the lines of this attention to the beat to the groove uh huh and when you really break down that attention to the beat or the rhythm or the groove, 
and you juxtapose that right next to minimalism, those two things really happen to be very similar Mm -hmm. and maybe inspired by each other too. And so you have this like attention to the beat and the groove that really makes a lot of sense in minimalism, but also I feel like is really inherent and important, well, vital to like jazz music and pop music and hip hop and like absolutely <laughs> so it's like it's all just super connected yeah a running ostinato right yeah is important to any jazz song hip hop songs all song yeah like in i think when i also had a chance to go to europe this year with mm-hmm. um angel bat the weed I don't you I know love Angel. Her. I love her. Oh. Yeah, she's been on this podcast. Oh, awesome. <laughs> okay. So, okay, me and Angel share birthdays. We're birthday oh twins. My God. <laughs> Yo. But I also play sing in her band. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so in that way, I've like been able to introduce my use my training in a different, very vastly different context than yeah. I originally had even imagined that I would. Like in a soul, like avant-garde jazz band and it's such an amazing ride because i just get to be who i am yeah yeah it's it's maybe the one thing like that's changed my life in the last year from 2019 to 22 that i really really appreciate yeah and through that freedom i'm starting to really get a chance to see what my voice is artistically not only in music making but also in my community organizing and in art and visual art making too through videos and things you might have seen some stuff i posted on instagram Mm -hmm, yeah but i have like this tendency to really locate the voice and the visual and bring them to those two things together in order Mm -hmm. to heighten an experience that could just be mundane yeah like making breakfast (laughs) like Totally. That is a really, really important thing, making breakfast. <laughs> I mean, it's the first meal of the day. It is one of my favorite things in my day is yeah. making breakfast. Not the actual getting out of bed, but once I'm out of bed, when I'm making breakfast, I'm like, yes, this is good. <laughs> and aren't you humming just a little bit? Like- yes, absolutely. Come on. <laughs> I love it. Yes. But like, look at that. Mm-hmm. Like, that's a part of your everyday life that like brings you joy. I can see it on your face. She's smiling, y'all. And there might be some music or a soundtrack that goes to that. Mm-hmm. And it's so deeply personal and private for us because I don't know. There's it's a moment to ourselves yeah. or we might not even bring attention to it. Yeah. But it might be one of the most genuine moments you have all day. Yeah, for sure. That's a good point. <laughs> Yo. <laughs> um, so it's, it's kind of coming back to um, um, uh, being able to kind of switch between different genres and hop around between them. Um, how – and we, we touched on this a little bit already, mm-hmm. but um, I was wondering – um, how do you feel that being able to um, kind of hop between these different genres lets you grow as an artist? Oh, absolutely. Well, I can give you my personal reason. So I'm yeah. rephrasing just a little bit. <laughs> okay. When I get 
when I get everyone has their little like work quirks, right? Mm-hmm. And I think that having the ability to hop around the three or four or five or six different genres that I'm in, yeah, it really helps me find balance. And I think for me, I need to have input and different inspirations coming from a lot of different places. Yeah. And although it may seem chaotic to an outsider's point of view, yeah. for me, it makes perfect sense. So something that I'm performing in Angel's Band in the Brotherhood, yeah. I would, it definitely feeds into me performing with Adrian Dunn's, the Dunn Singers at CSO with Chicago Symphonietta, mm-hmm. where they're doing something like Seven Last Words of an Unarmed of an unarmed of an unarmed man mm-hmm. and it's actually really interesting that in terms of subject matter and in terms of kind of like similarity of i think the sounds that are coming from composers nowadays these genres are so intermixing yeah everything's really crossing over a lot yeah all the time and it's really, really cool. And I don't think it's anything new either. Mm-hmm. Um, but I really feel like, for me, variety definitely does enhance my growth mm-hmm. as, a, as a person, as a human being. Like, listening to music is great. Um, being able to perform and express myself through music is slowly becoming a necessity. Yeah. So... It feels to me that if I have a stage and I have something to say and I think that the project is beautiful and inspired by love and I enjoy performing with the people that I'm performing with, those are the real things that really make me happy. And I hopefully will find growth in that too. I think that's really important that you know that and you recognize that. Like now, I I think sometimes it takes people like, years and years and years to kind of figure out like what sort of a performing and like creation kind of environment actually makes them happy. (laughs) It's a thing. And also I think people's kind of, um, and this is just my opinion, but I, I, I think that sometimes people get really caught up in, um, kind of varying definitions of what success is Mm. and, um, and like what success should look like and uh you know whether that's um expressed in a a number in terms of money or in terms of like number of performances or um just something that's really quantitative um as opposed to like more like sort of the quality of the experience and what that looks like for you personally um so I think that's really awesome. <laughs> it's really important. Yeah, I um, appreciate that. <laughs> I mean, but also, like, it's real, though. Like, yeah. I mean, I think it made more sense when there were, like, guarantees. Mm-hmm. Guarantees. There's never <laughs> any guarantees in music. Yeah. But <laughs> it's just, <laughs> right? <laughs> but, uh, you know, I think part of the idea was that you know you go to school and then if you're an instrumentalist you're looking for an orchestra job or a yeah change of music. there are these like very set like these are the paths that you go on yeah mm-hmm. and I, I think that now that that's like not necessarily true anymore yeah i think people are so much more willing to take risk absolutely like, instrumentalists composing pieces yeah like new collectives being formed like just because the original ways where we saw and got work 
aren't there anymore. Yeah. Which is refreshing. And there's a space being open for new things and new collaborations. Absolutely. So, mm-hmm. Yeah. It's like the, the, when all bets are off, there's like kind of an odd sense of, it's, it's a little scary, but it's also, there's an odd sense of freedom Absolutely. that comes with it. Which um, is awesome. Yeah. Like, <laughs> I mean, to be honest, like as an artist. That was probably me. <laughs> Sorry, we have phones going off. Yo, no worries. <laughs> and no I worries. think we're, it's me. We're trying to be, you know, <laughs> etiquette, etiquette, etiquette. Okay, no okay. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> I love, thank you for doing this. <laughs> I really appreciate you keeping real on here. Like, let's this is get, a very low-key podcast. <laughs> yo, I'm here for it. We can really talk about certain things, yeah. though. I really appreciate that. I'm, I'm glad you feel that way. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Yeah. But, you know, like, that's just kind of, like, what it is. Mm -hmm. And I'm finding finding it really refreshing. And knowing that we're kind of coming to an age where people of the next generation are starting to program Mm -hmm. and be in positions of power and, like, even... I was looking at the staff of D-Case and I was like, oh, well, I can relate to some of those people there because, or D-Case is the Department of of Cultural Affairs for Uh the city of Chicago. And I can relate to them because they are similar in age, but also open just to hearing new things and you don't feel like they're so like far removed from your own experience and and what you're trying to do. And exactly, exactly. And, there's just more I, I think there's more accommodations being made to make this music happen yeah um but of course like i think we all want to see more right oh yeah, yeah. always more yeah <laughs> <laughs> um i was wondering in what ways since we're talking about like your growth as a person and as an artist and a musician um in what ways do you feel like chicago is um or if you do feel this way, mm-hmm. um, in what ways do you feel like uh, Chicago is uniquely like suited for um, your growth as an artist? The ways that you've been able to like explore these different avenues of expression and collaborate with different people. Yeah, Chicago has been a very important place. Um, it's my home. It's my inspiration. Mm-hmm. Um, my musical family is here. <laughs> Gosh, I couldn't say that last year. Wow. Like, or I was looking. Right. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. You know, you kind of get out of, get into that phase of life where you're like, okay, you're like, where, where am I going to make my home? Yeah. Where oh. are my people? Yeah. yeah. My people are my places. Yeah. And it was kind of like up in the air, you know. I was definitely doing gigging around the city quite a bit, mm-hmm. but really finding a place where, like, I can find the people that are going to really be behind me artistically. Yeah. And that just takes some time and energy and going out to gigs and meeting people and performing. And I found it here. And it's such a beautiful, beautiful thing. Um, On an even deeper level, though, like, Chicago is messed up. Chicago's a messed up place to live yeah. in a lot of different ways. Yeah. But it's also a very beautiful place to live as well. Yeah. It's a really interesting juxtaposition of like really wonderful things and really 
less wonderful things. <laughs> it's a thing. Yeah. And but the one thing that's really unique about this place is that everyone who is here works through it. Yeah. Even though we know it's messed up, we still work through it. And I think that's why the improvisation is so good here, y'all. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. If, if you have to figure out your little your, the, the problems of life, you have to improvise your way through those moments. Yeah. And if you're in situations and in places that don't always look pretty or don't always go your way because of things that are outside of your control, sometimes the only point of expression that you have is through your music. Yeah. So a lot of times when you hear musicians from Chicago, you're hearing sometimes their only outlet to really express what they couldn't say with words or didn't have a platform to say. Yeah. And they do it through music. So it's such a beautiful thing to see. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, so I kind of circle, but I mean, obviously, obviously music by black composers has a profound impact on you. It has a profound impact on everyone because I mean, <laughs> there are black composers, even though they're not like getting as much attention as, as they should and um, aren't being featured in the way that um, that they should. Um, I lost my train of thought. Oh, no, <laughs> no, no worries, no worries. Um, so, I mean, you state kind of in your, in this blurb on the Constellation event um, that you are dedicated to the advancement of black music in America. Makes a lot of sense. Um, and I was just kind of wondering, aside from, um, you know, singing works by black composers, collaborating with other black musicians. Um, what are some other aspects of that process? Like what, is, what does that look like for you either in ways that you're striving to reach that goal now mm -hmm. or um, ideas that you have for the future, whether that means, you know, being at certain venues, producing certain projects, curating certain things. Absolutely. Um, Oh wow! The Sorry, that was like my oyster. <laughs> kind of a, a fat question. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I totally have a couple ideas and a couple things that are hopefully in the pipeline in order <laughs> to make that dream a reality. Mm -hmm. And I guess that's something that I have to work on every day. So yeah. you know, if that actually means like listening to a record, that's actually enough because yeah. one, I found. This record, uh, Columbia Black Composer Series. Okay. It's eight volumes. Oh, my God. <laughs> and all directed by Paul Friedman. Okay. So I'm like, and it was like in the 70s, like around 75 or so that those records were put out. Mm -hmm. And I literally only know, knew a couple of people's names on that record. Mm -hmm. And so literally just being curious yeah. about it really starts with that. It yeah. really, really just starts with that. And there's some great, great symphonic works too. Ollie Wilson is a black composer that people should know. Mm -hmm. um, there's also oh, Tanya DeLeon. Mm -hmm. that, I mean, a lot of people in New York know her because she, she lives there, I believe. But like Renee Baker is another composer that lives here in Chicago. Nicole Mitchell. All these people are great, but it took like curiosity, right? Yeah, absolutely. In order to like even figure out that they like 
are a thing and have been a thing. It was like an amazing time in the 70s. So it must have been an amazing time for black music back then because at least there was platform for it. Yeah. And like Columbia Records put out seven volumes of it, which is awesome. Yeah. But I digress. Anyways, <laughs> in other... It's all data. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's all data, but it has to like have a way to be accessed. Yeah. And I think that's, ooh, that's a really great, you got me to that point. <laughs> it's all data, but you it has. You got there. <laughs> I mean, but really, though, that's right. Like, and it's really awesome how, actually, it's the records that are really holding the archive of black music in America. So if you can go to a record shop and actually pick up a record by some black composers, that'd mm -hmm. be the first thing. Yeah. And not to say that, like, even when you say, like, it should, mm -hmm. like, be performed, like, because it's not currently, but also, like, the should should be, like, it should be juxtaposed next to Beethoven. Yeah. It should be juxtaposed next to Shasta it COVID. Shouldn't, there shouldn't be, like, programs where it's, like, look, we're featuring, like, black composers. It should just, it's, a, like... They're people and they're composing, so therefore they should be on programs with other people who are composing. <laughs> right. And the same for Latinx folks, for Asian Asian American folks, for yeah. everyone. It's just like instead of it being siloed, because what it right. ends up being being done is get siloed into world music or some other genre, jazz too. Mm -hmm. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> it's yeah. A thing. And you're like is this all jazz? Is it? Right. I don't know. Right, right, right. Yeah, I feel like that, and not to like get onto a tangent, but like I, it was like, wasn't it Tyler, the creator recently, who was like, we always get, like black artists always get put into like urban and like R&B like kind of categories just like because they're black and it's not necessarily like in that genre. Right. Also, like. <laughs> yeah. And you're like, okay, well, but the really, I mean, the honest truth is that it's about selling records for on a yeah. larger scale on that commercial level. You know, yeah. if you don't have a genre, then they don't know who to market it to. Yeah. But that's the whole point of new and contemporary right? music. It's <laughs> like no genre. Yeah. But to be honest with mm -hmm. you, though, and this is a tangent, but it needs to be said mm -hmm. that new and contemporary music is experimental enough for us to try out things that then get incorporate it into mainstream music eventually yeah like yeah. things from the 80s uh, heavy synths like all this experimental film even the fact that like people are have vhs filters yeah you know what i mean <laughs> on their iphone on instagram yeah, yeah it's telling you that this these technological kind of quirks mm -hmm. that we're experimenting with will have a value 20 30 years from now yeah it's just a time a time thing yeah for sure and i guess kind of getting back on point with that we're talking about black composers like i really think that it's important that we start to have conversations in the classical music world around race and actually apply critical race theory which is usually applied to law into classical music realm too. Mm -hmm. It's been applied in a lot of other social contexts as well. But we have to really start to engage in the conversations ourselves as musicians, as conductors, yeah. and as arts administrators as well. And I think one of the ways that we can do this is by 
sure, having a panel discussion about it, but how can we use music in order to do this? We can write, we can compose, but I'm also really interested in how we can improvise in order to express ourselves. Yeah. Um, I do this with community members in this neighborhood in Woodlawn, but I really wanna see what happens when you have conservatory trained musicians you give them a subject like racism and classical music. And I want you to improvise a piece with each other. Mm -hmm. Have an intimate conversation with each other using music about how you feel about this particular subject. Yeah. And have the conversation. So I think we're that would allow us to use two sets of language, right? Our words and the instruments that we're the most proficient at yeah. in order to express. So that might give you a hand a little bit about where I might be going a little bit yeah, soon yeah. with this. So. <laughs> I like that. Yeah. Um, yeah. I'm trying to think if I had follow-up questions to that, but I don't think I do. Um, so uh, coming back to more specifically your March 1st program, uh, can you tell me a little bit about what uh, we can expect from that program, like kind of what you're singing? Sure, yeah. So I'm doing this piece by Anthony Green. Uh, he's a composer from the States, but he lives in the Netherlands now, actually. Oh, I didn't realize that. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Ew. And he made this piece called um, Empathy One Diamond Reynolds. Mm -hmm. um, and it is about a 10, 15 minute piece that is for solo voice. And it uses diamond's words on facebook when she was recording an interaction with the police officer with her boyfriend philando castile and her child was in the backseat mm -hmm. and she uses uh for uh she uses one sentence is what she says it's the only thing that can come out of her mouth after she witnesses her boyfriend being shot and so the composer takes these words from this one sentence and expands each individual word into syllables. I see. And the breaking up of the words for me as a performer, it becomes in some senses a meditative act and others an expression of frustration and anger and other moments, um, sympathy, empathy, um, goodness it's such a heavy piece for me yeah um it it was performed two years ago by carl alexander mm -hmm. uh, for his voice project and in this iteration i wanted to make a choice not to show the film i see okay. that was shown on facebook a lot of people are familiar with it because it was like one of the first events like one of these police brutality events that was recorded mm -hmm. and but I don't want to show it because I think that visual element it, it for me personally it's sensory overload I just don't like um the idea of seeing black death yeah on screen or and, and kind of normalizing it almost right in a way um I think a word someone used is called disaster porn yeah 
And so after a while, people actually start to not feel anything about these things because the visual element numbs them. It's like desensitizing. Yeah. Yeah. I hear you. So I'm trying out some other ways to kind of bring a visual element without it being that image. And what I really want audience members to walk away with from this particular particular piece is a sense of the reality for what they just experienced and what they just witnessed. And because the piece is so heavy, I wanted to create something that opened up dialogue afterward, or I don't, I don't want to say clear the air, but I, I think it it's important to see people struggle with trauma. And as a way, performatively, because that's what I have to do as a performer on stage, is that in order to perform this particular piece, I am submitting myself to some form of trauma. Yeah. Because I'm allowing myself to inhabit this person, Diamond, in a way, and go through this ride using my 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 artistic imagination right you and have my to voice. empathize with her and, yeah i and, have to be there yeah and so and coming from that particular situation i'm broken yeah i and i wanted to create something that honors that feeling and emotion as a valid thing but also provides some sense of after this moment i don't want to say resolution because it's not right resolution. but that like the kind of the conversation and the feelings that we're having around this event aren't just ending when the performance is done right and so i wanted to use improvisation as a way to do that and so um i created this piece called intercession mm-hmm. which is a structured improv and it's for myself with vocals and movement uh margaret Morris, who's a mover and a vocalist as well. She's primarily a dancer, but also uses her voice, which is beautiful. (laughs) And Scott Rubin is a violist and an electronic music aficionado and a composer. (laughs) So I have all of them, all three of us working together to kind of be witness to this moment, Mm -hmm. but also intercede. I think in the stage allows us to create an environment where we can use our imagination to insert elements and situations that weren't there in our reality. Mm-hmm. And in this way, I want to insert a prayer into this situation in order to intercede on the behalf of the people that are involved in this situation. Yeah. And what's really cool is that it involves not only the people on stage, the bodies, so vocals, movements, person with instruments, <laughs> electronics. Mm-hmm. But the idea that the electronic elements are out of our control, the mm-hmm. electronic elements provide this soundscape that is around us, but not coming from us that sends a message to us 
is really the tenor of the second <laughs> half of the piece. Okay. Um, and I'm really excited to pair the two together. Yeah. To see what the evening's mood will be like. So. Yeah. It sounds, it sounds like a lot, but in a good way. <laughs> yeah. I, like, I hope that's okay to say. Like, it sounds like it will be, uh, like, people will walk away feeling very affected and feeling a lot of things. Um, yeah. Um, that sounds awesome. I'm, I'm really looking forward to it. I should be able to be there. I'm trying to, <laughs> I, I mean, I try to make it to like everything that like I interview people about, but I can't always, but I'm, I'm like 99.9% sure that I can come to this. Hey. Um, it, yeah, it's going to be great. On the list. My name's on the list. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> um, awesome. Um, so I just want to remind people that this is happening um, 8.30 p.m. Sunday, March 1st at Constellation. It is part of the 2020 Frequency Festival. Um, Julian Terrell Otis um, will be performing um, these amazing works that he just talked about. Um, <laughs> and um, yeah, is there anything else that you want people to know about March 1st? uh bring a friend bring two yeah um and really just bring an open mind and maybe you might change what you think about new music yeah. you might call it heart music <laughs> <laughs> because you might leave feeling different yeah. you might leave more with more love and empathy in your heart too yeah um and people uh can find you online at julianterrellotis.com, correct? That's it. Okay, excellent. Thank you so much for doing this. This Thank has been great. Thank you for having me. <laughs> I really appreciate it. Yeah.